We are back to our study of Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. We didn't quite finish chapter 7, so uh, we're going to spend some time there. And then we'll get into chapter 8. Chapter 7 is about discarding unbiblical, unbiblical methods in parenting. Uh, Tripp lists six unbiblical methods. I'm sure we could come up with more, but that's a good start. We talked about the first four last time, so I'll give you a brief uh, recap. And then we will get into the new. Uh, the first biblical, unbiblical method of parenting, in my own words, is repeating whatever method you inherited with the mindset, well, I didn't turn out so bad, so it must be okay. Uh, without any thought to whether you've inherited a biblical perspective, you just do what always has been done. And so we have to ask ourselves, what if there's sinful neglect in what we've inherited? Yeah, you turned out okay. We know that's by God's grace, but that doesn't mean we should continue to cultivate sin generationally. In fact, the Bible teaches that if we keep the sins of our fathers hanging around, uh, the generational destruction compounds. So if you read in the narrative of the kings, there are these kings in Israel, and they may have been good kings. I mean, they, they did a lot right And yet, there are these common themes, and even the good kings, they didn't take down the high places, right? The high places were set up for idol worship in the culture, and so they might have done a lot of things well, but they didn't deal with the high places, and because they didn't, the fruit was bitter generationally. So again, we can't just leave sin hanging around if we've inherited something that is not uh, good. We need to address that. The next two unbiblical methods he mentions are pop psychology and behavior modification. We've talked about this a good bit. He does mention a couple new examples, which I thought were helpful. Uh, One is bribery. Another one, contracts. Uh, We bribe our kids, you know, to get them to do what we want them to do. Contracts, whether verbal or written, usually probably verbal, just so that the child understands, if I do this, I get this. Um, If I clean my room, I get time on the iPad. If I eat my dinner, I get ice cream, you know, things like that. And he makes the point, which I think is a good point, um, this preys on their sinful desires to cultivate their sinful self-interest. In their sin, they want to serve themselves. And we cater to that when we teach them to do acts of service or to do good things for their own glory so that they will get something out of it. If I do this, I get something. Um, The biblical method is to teach them to love God and serve God, to love others and serve others for God's glory and for the good of others. Uh, And then when that doesn't jive, as it often doesn't with kids, we teach them to address the sin in their heart, teach them to repent of that sin and trust in Christ um, to turn in the power of the Spirit to walk in love for God and love for others, not to do things for my own glory, but for God's. The next unbiblical method is emotionalism. Um, In trying to manipulate behavior, the parent says to the child, you know, it really makes me sad when you act that way. Or maybe the parent gives the child the cold shoulder as a way of just kind of like, you're really bothering me and I'm just going to stay mad at you and we're not going to talk about it. Um, So on the one hand, we try to manipulate behavior by communicating communicating our feelings. On the other hand, we try to manipulate behavior by kind of wearing our feelings on our sleeves. Uh, Of course, it's not wrong to communicate how their sin affects other people, right? It hurts me. 
Uh, it hurts other people. But the point that I think he's getting at is this tactic is often employed at the expense of addressing the sin at all. Just trying to change their behavior so that they will act differently. Uh, focused on the behavior, not focused on the issues in their heart. And the biggest problem with that is we, we make it about us and them when the primary issue is between them and God. We're just God's agents, right? So when we do that and make it about all about my hurt feelings and, you know, just whatever. And there, again, there are implications for our relationship, but we always want to be taking it back to their relationship with God. All right, that catches us up to where we left off. So uh, the fifth unbiblical method that Tripp mentions, I believe we mentioned it but didn't spend much time on it because we ran out of time last time, is the method of punitive correction. Uh, So this is using the threat of punishment or actual punishment to control our children. And again, notice the theme, all of these approaches uh, that we're seeking to control, right? We want the control. We want to kind of manage them and manage their behavior. Remember what we said last time? I think this is helpful. Uh, Jonathan Todd showed this to me. Power changes. Anybody else remember what the next one was? Control copes. And authority, you could say uh, rules or lovely sound effects. All right. So, um, who has the power to change? The Holy Spirit, not us. Although we do try to sort of, you know, do that sometimes, play Holy Spirit. Uh, And then control is just sort of moving the pieces around. We're just trying to manage the situation, but it doesn't ultimately, you can't, can you even see that? Yeah. Well, the markers are no good. My bad. Um, And then, you know, we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to try to control them and manage them and that won't turn out well either. But God has given us authority as parents We've talked a lot about we want to own that authority. uh, And ultimately, we want to operate that authority in the way that God has said. So, that's with loving discipline and instruction. Uh, we, We can correct their behavior. We can discipline their behavior. We can speak the truth in love to them and teach them, you know, the ways of God. And ultimately, uh, that's kind of the sweet spot. I think this is a good paradigm for any relationships. I mean, you know, use that grid for your marriage or your relationships at work. And, you know, maybe I'm trying to kind of be the power in this situation. Maybe I'm just trying to control the situation or God has invested some authority in me. I can lovingly uh, speak the truth in love in this situation. and, And he uses that. All right. So in this section on punitive correction, um, Trip is really hard on grounding as a method of discipline. How many of you were grounded as kids? I was grounded a lot. <clears throat> How many of you still think grounding is a good way to do it and why? 
Or, if you don't think it's a good way to do it, why is it not good? Um, I think, I don't, there's lots of different definitions for grounding, but taking my son's uh, device away mm -hmm. for an extended period of time has, we always find to be positive because it removes the distractions that were maybe causing some of the problems in the first mm -hmm. place mm -hmm. and forces him to refocus on some other things. Mm -hmm. So. But there are different definitions. Yeah. So I, I, have that. I think that's good, too. <laughs> if uh, it's coupled with the kind of instruction, you know, that we're talking about. I think one of the things that he's really hard on ground. He says this. Um, page 64, second to last paragraph. Tripp says, grounding is not corrective. It is simply punitive. It simply punishes. It does not biblically address the issues of the heart that were reflected in the child's wrong behavior. It simply punishes for a specified period of time. Well, maybe he should have said bad grounding, you know, um, because the Israelites got grounded from the promised land, you know. They've been grounded. They were grounded for a long time. and it was, But it came with communication. It came with addressing the sin, speaking into the sin, calling to repentance, the hope of the gospel, that's the ministry of the prophets, right? So if we're doing that and taking that as a paradigm, I think grounding is very good if it's done well. I, especially these uh, devices and things like that, that seems to be a way to get their attention, you know. But don't think that we can just ground and you go think about what you've done and come back when you've thought about it and then everything will be okay. No, grounding needs to serve the, the uh, opportunity you know, to speak into this, call out the sin, uh, instruct them in the ways of the Lord, and, and that sort of thing. So I think he's a little nearsighted on that whole issue, but I do think there's some good caution there that we don't just do the grounding thing thinking that'll take care of it. I, um. I think you really exasperate your children that way. You know, you get grounded for everything. And this is the case in a lot of strict parents. Uh, we're going to ground you, but we're not going to talk to you. You know, you're just going to go pay for what you did. And maybe that was your experience. You can enjoy some time away from you. Yes. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, it's, it, I think that's really easy for us to do. It is easy. It is. Um, and we're going to get to that, too, in a second. Uh, in, in a little bit when we talk about communication, the importance of communication and how something like that can be really detrimental you know, long term. Let me ask this too. Okay, growing up, I was a very rebellious child and I felt like my parents, something they did well mm. was I thought, you know, there were certain privileges mm. and if you can't obey, then that's going to be taken away from you. Like the thing I love more than anything was Mm -hmm. And so in seventh or eighth grade, I, I could not obey anything they said. So they made me quit the basketball team, quit the tennis team. And I feel like it really got my attention yeah. for a while. Right. You know, so that's maybe what I'm just thinking through this. I mean, do you think some of those things are good? Or do you think since it only helped for a while? No, well, I mean, it's really the same. I go back to the paradigm of the Israelites. I think that that's kind of the way God worked. Like, there are covenant blessings that you forfeit in your rebellion. Um, you know, that doesn't overthrow the covenant, 
but it does, at least for a time, uh, overthrow some of the blessings. So I think that's a good way to do it. I think the big thing I would caution us about, and I, I saw this uh, you know, in my upbringing, but I think we all tend toward this, is we punish when we're not communicating. That's when it turns to punishment. So I think that's a great thing. You know the expectations. You know uh, the responsibility that you have as a member of this home by that time. And um, you have continually rebelled against that. So you're not going to be... That's a blessing. This isn't a right. You don't have a right to all of these things. These are gifts. These are blessings. And you're not going to walk in these blessings for a period of time. But we're going to use that time to speak to you. See, that's what the prophets came during the time when they were in Babylon. You know, or when they were heading into exile. So it's a time when blessings are being removed, and yet God did not stay distant. He, he moved in and spoke to them about their sin when their attention had been gotten. I mean, so I would say, absolutely, they shouldn't play basketball this year or whatever. But we have to make sure we're speaking into that, um, calling them to repentance. What is the sin? And ultimately... The prophets had a very hopeful message in the end about Christ. So um, I think that would be a good paradigm to return to again and again to think about. I think it's appropriate to take away blessings. They don't have, they're not entitled to them. They act like they are. We do too, but we're not. And because God loves us, sometimes he'll take them away. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. Again, all right, let's see, grounding, I think we've, you know, we kind of talked about that. Anybody else about grounding? Um, what about timeout? That kind of relates to that. I mean, you want to talk about timeout? That's kind of like grounding for a little bit. It's kind of... People probably don't do it long enough to get their attention and then... And then I think the same thing with grounding. You've got to have a conversation with them afterwards. It's not just go to your room because you're bugging me and I don't want to look at you for the next 15 minutes. That's right. you got to explain to them. Yeah. Same thing. I was thinking that a minute ago too. There are blessings yeah. that God wants to give you. As your parent, we want to give you blessings, but you don't get those yeah. when you're living in sin or, or as a consequence of yeah. your sin. Yeah. I, I think timeouts are fine if you're having that same Totally agree. Again, the error is in the lack of communication. The error is in, we, it turns to punishment when we say, go to timeout, think about what you've done, and you can come back when, I, when the timer beeps. And there's no conversation. How many, we've all done this, right? I mean, give me a break. We even forgot why they went, or whatever. Oh, where have you been? You, <laughs> you sent me to timeout. Thanks. Uh, now, I would say this, and we're going to talk about this in chapter 11. Uh, if timeout is used in place of the rod, we have other issues, but we'll get there soon enough. Um, but just the big thing in all of this, there, there are various ways, and children are different, and you do, I, there's wisdom in that, and you understand kind of how children respond to certain things. I mean, it's amazing to me. Sarah's not there yet, although she's pushing her luck. But Levi and Eva Claire, you know, how differently they respond to the same method. (laughs) And so 
it's not that I'm losing the principle of the method. It's that you have to learn your child. And we're going to get into that in a minute. We have to learn about them and we have to apply it differently. But do not lose out on that opportunity. Whatever we're doing, every moment of discipline is an opportunity for instruction. It's an opportunity to love them, to teach them about the Lord, to teach them about His ways, to teach them the gospel. So we can't lose that. It's tiring. It's tiring just to address it. It's more tiring to then speak into it. But it's good work that we, we have to do. That's, that's God's grace being given to them over and over and over again. All right. The last unbiblical method Tripp mentions is erratic eclecticism. It's erratic. There's no consistency. It's eclectic. You just pull from whatever the latest article you read. You know, It's like, look, we all feel a little bit behind the eight ball and a bit underwater, and there's a lot of parenting advice out there. Facebook makes this even worse or better, depending. And, you know, uh, there's so many different things that we're just kind of grabbing, but we're not maybe considering what paradigm this is flowing out of. Is there a competing worldview in in place here? And in the moment may not be the time to do your, you know, theological thinking. At the same time, things do need to be evaluated Is this consistent with the framework that we're seeing in the Scriptures? Um, It is so important that we operate out of a biblical world and life view and that the child is not left, you know, spinning and frustrated back and forth because we're just contradicting ourselves all the time. Um, All right. If anyone's been a parent for any amount of time, or even if you're not a parent and you love children, and you've employed these unbib- some of these unbiblical methods at times, right? I mean, I think I could find myself in each of them at some point. Um, the point here is not to shame us. The point is that just like our children, we need loving correction. We need instruction. We need to kind of get our bearings and figure out where we are. Uh, It's a gift from God when He exposes us in our lack of wisdom. He only exposes those that He loves, those that He disciplines, those that He teaches. Uh, He he loves us for doing that. And so let us take it seriously and let us not leave it there. If there's areas where we need to repent, um, then do it. And if you've been exposed at every single one, well, then there's a lot of pieces to pick up. But God's grace is sufficient and... uh, We can lay hold again of the forgiveness of sins in Christ. We can remember again that though we are not righteous, and our parenting has proved that, uh, Christ is, and we're credited with His righteousness. We're loved and accepted by God. And we must remember that we've not been left to ourselves. God has given us the Holy Spirit. We can pray daily for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to walk in His paths, which are hard but good. Amen? Amen. All right, we've talked uh, a little bit about unbiblical methods, but we want to try to understand biblical methods. And the two big ones that Tripp gets into in the book are communication and the rod. Uh, Chapters 8 through 10 are about communication. Chapter 11, the rod. Then chapter 12 is about appealing to the conscience. And after that, we will uh, get into some more um, age-specific type stuff. So kind of moving towards the end there, but that's where we're heading over the next few weeks. 
And uh, you think about the biblical passages on parenting, the well-known ones, Deuteronomy 6, you know, teaching our children uh, when we rise up and lie down and when we walk around the way. I mean, teaching is communication. When we think about training up our child in the way that we sh- they should go, uh, that involves communication. I mean, the Ephesians 6 passage, raising our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that, in call, that entails communication. So... Communication is obviously key in parenting. I think we all probably know that. But there is this good section in chapter 8 titled, Communication is not monologue, or it's dialogue, not monologue. Uh, And here are some key quotes, or I've kind of put them in my own words, but some key thoughts from that section. We must talk with our children, not just talk to our children. Communication is not only the ability to talk, it is the ability to listen. Proverbs 18.13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. The finest art of communication is not learning how to express your thoughts, it is learning how to draw the thoughts out of another. thought that was good. And then we must seek to understand our children, not just seek to have them understand us. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Communication is not monologue, it's dialogue. Granted, Teaching, training, disciplining, instructing, all of that involves seeking to be understood, right? We do want to be understood, but if you're like me, we can tend to be too one-sided on this. Um, They're going to hear me, you know, but maybe they're never going to be heard or understood uh, or at least sought to be understood. Maybe we can't understand, but we want to try to understand. And now Tripp connects this to the distant teen problem which we all accept that as a fact of life, and certainly there are things going on in a teenager's life that are going to move them uh, further from the nest. But I don't know that we have to accept the uh, miserable distant teen that we all kind of have in our minds. Um, He says, and this is back to something Andy said a little bit ago, he says that we often fail to engage our children in significant conversation when they're young. So over time, they gather that we are uninterested in them. You know, they're not stupid. And they've learned, he says, a good talk for us is a good listen for them. I thought that was a great point and convicting. And then by the time we're growing interested in understanding them, which is when they're moving outside of the nest... They've already adjusted to the fact that we're uninterested, so they're uninterested. I think it's a good point. Uh, now, some are already here with a distant teen, preteen. I have no idea what that's like. I'm not, I'm not pretending. I do think there is a sense in which we can expect at that stage in life, we're all going to go through that, right? I mean, it's part of the natural development But we shouldn't settle for the worst of it as a fact of life, or at least if we get there, we should know better maybe how to engage it. So people like Sean could help us, but uh, yeah. How do we go about not settling? Here's some principles to think about. Um, We often try to overpower, right? I mean, I'm sure when we get there, uh, it only just compounds the things. I, I like the quote, wherever you go, there you are. So if you're trying to overpower when they're 2 or 5, probably going to try to overpower when they're 16. So if we don't repent of that sin, it's going to be with us when we get there. Um, 
you know, we're just going to get mad at them for not talking or just kind of try to manipulate them that way, try to control them uh, with our emotions or whatever it is. But how do we hit the sweet spot? I think we can start by, at any age, humbling ourselves in repentance. Um, So we think back. Has there been any lack of interest in real engagement? I mean, when Andy says, you know, Go to your room so I can get out of my face. I mean, I think we can all relate. And, and yet, you know, if that's a pattern and a habitual thing, then we need to know that our children will pick up on things and they will kind of interpret their own messages. Um, what he must mean is he doesn't, he's not interested. He doesn't want to deal with me. I'm too much of a problem or whatever. So... Um, we can repent, repent of that in prayer to God and we can do that to them. I'm sorry that I haven't valued you the way that God has called me to. And again, not saying their um, distant teen problem is only because of this. I just think it may be a contribution that we really need to consider. And if, if much of their life is spent with us trying to keep them occupied and not bothering us up to that point... Uh, well, they'll adjust, and they'll figure that out, and so we just need to address that. Um, and the real issue here is really image of God. I mean, we were made to know God, to be known by God, but also to know others and be known by others, right? We were made with this depth of relationship, longing for depth of relationship written on our hearts. I think that's why a lot of us don't want to settle for just going through the motions in church, you know, it's like, no, no, we're here to truly know God and truly know one another and truly be His community on His mission. Um, and so think about that in terms of our kids. We're really going to get into how to intentionally move into better knowing and understanding them next week. That's the second part of chapter 8. Uh, and on into the rest of 9 and 10, the communication chapters. But what do you think about that? Any thoughts? Can you see yourself in some of that? I mean, the, uh, you know, writing them off and not wanting to be with them and just... I think listening is such an acquired skill. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, and it's a difficult one, for me at least, to acquire. Like, I have a friend, um, a close friend who lives out of town... And every time we get on the phone, like, I've got so many transitions, I can't wait to hear about this and this and this. And a lot of times we we hang up and I go, I talked the whole time. Mm -hmm. And you know why? Because she is an amazing listener. Mm -hmm. She is always ready. Like, every time she asks me a question, Mm -hmm. she's ready with a follow-up question to get me, tell me more about that, Stephanie. Tell me more. Tell me more. And, like, I am not good at that. Mm -hmm. And I need to be better at that Mm -hmm. with my kids, except at six and eight, what they have to say is not really, um, I have trouble really wanting to draw out more detail because they just don't ever stop. Um, But I know that there's going to be a point where, you know, like I think especially with my daughter, um, one of our mom's mentors said something when she was really little that 
her daughter like loved to have her back scratched and as long as she would scratch her back while she was going to bed she would just keep talking mm -hmm. and my daughter loves that too and a lot of times when it's bedtime i'm ready like this mama's clocking out like it's it's 8 15 yeah. and i have put in a full day and yeah. it's time for me to go have my couch time and I don't want to lay there for yeah. another 15 minutes and scratch her back and listen to playgrounds news. That's okay. But, <laughs> but no, it's but, maybe it is, but, but you I do want to really value. I need to be I need to be putting in the investment now yeah. of listening to nonsense because one day it's gonna she's gonna have something yeah. to say. And she needs to know that I care. Yeah. And I don't always. And so sometimes I have to fake it now. Because fake it till you make it. Yeah, exactly. To hopefully one day, like, she'll have something to say that... Well, that's, it's a, we have to, we talk often about the long-term view and we need the long-term view in so many things. And so often we're, you know, we're instructed in the culture to take the short-term view. And, but I mean, that's wisdom is we're, we're seeing, you know, this is frankly a little boring and a little just confusing and I'm not sure what she just said, but there's a bond being developed here that I really hope will be fruitful in those times when I can better understand what she's going through, the teenage years or whatever it is. So it's hard. We are at that moment. I think, I think not only is it just you're so physically tired by the end of the day, but I think Satan hates it. And there is some serious spiritual warfare that happens at the times that God has ordained for us to instruct our kids. I mean, I turn into a nightmare half the time, you know? And you think, where does that come from? I think it's temptation. I think it is attack, back to Ephesians 6. I mean, he hates it because it's so important. So, we got to quit. But I think there is wisdom in the long-term view of trying to establish these ruts, these paths, these places in our life where we can have those conversations. And something that you mentioned about your friend, asking good questions. Read the second half of chapter 8 for next week. There's a lot of good questions in there. I'm like you. I'm a talker. Sometimes I can't shut up. Yeah, yeah. But good questions is the key to good listening. Just following up on those good questions, it does help our children to develop critical thinking skills. True. Which is really important for their own maturity. And now that I've been on the university for a couple of years, there's a real lack of critical thinking with you know, some young adults. And, and I don't know the source of all of that, of course, yeah. for each, each individual. But those great follow-up questions help them to, to mature yeah. and develop. You know, uh, a lot of the stuff, too, uh, that's out there with, like, CCEF, uh, the Christian Counseling Education Foundation, but uh, David Pallison, Paul Tripp, uh, Ted Tripp, of course, you know, these guys are all, they're really good counselors, and a good counselor is a good listener. Now, a good counselor is also going to speak at some point, but good counseling draws out what's going on in there and then speaks into it. That's really what we're trying to do, is we're trying to get in there it's harder when they're toddlers, you know. But as we go, that's one of the key things we're trying to do as parents. Let's quit. I'll pray. And we have a few minutes, 13 minutes till church.
Father in heaven, uh, thank you for your uh, gift of life, new life in Christ. Thank you for the gift of children. Thank you for the gift of work, even though it is hard and would be hard uh, even without sin. Lord, sin complicates it. Certainly we know that there is also the spiritual warfare component. And Lord, uh, we just confess freely that we have fallen so short of your glory and your standard, and we, we can confess that because we stand here in Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for paying for our sins. Thank you that you rose from the grave and that you have gifted us with your perfect life, that we are received in you. And Father, that you always view us according to our Lord Jesus. Um, We do pray that you would grant us grace to find ourselves secure in Christ, to find ourselves uh, free in repentance and faith, and fill us with your Spirit to empower us to uh, walk in your paths. Help us, Lord, with your strength to gain wisdom and understanding as to how to really be good listeners and understand our children so that we might speak your truth into the places in their hearts uh, where they actually are. We, We commit it all to your care. We ask that you would establish our steps. In Jesus' name, amen.